Hey, sweet friends, it's Andrea. I hope that your day is off to a great start today. I just want you to know that I am so thankful for you. I love how God works in and through your life. I know sometimes we can get discouraged wondering, you know, what in the world is going on down here and what is it that we're supposed to be doing? But just know that as you faithfully follow the Lord, He is working in you and through you and it is for His glory. And so I want you to be encouraged today that you are are fighting the good fight, that you're living the faith out, that you are pursuing God and that he is making himself known in and through you. Isn't that just mind-blowing that the one true God, that he not only longs to have relationship with us, but that he has made a way to have a relationship with us. And that's what we've been talking about all year, pursuing a God-sized vision and focus for life. Today, we're bringing content from our Inspire Women's Conference to the Inspire On The Go platform. And we're just gonna be celebrating that truth together that we can pursue a God-sized vision and focus for life because God pursued us and God made a way. Lori McDaniel shared with us really practical ways to have a biblical mindset whenever it comes to living for the glory of God. And on this podcast episode and the next one, we're just going to revisit that content from Inspire Women's Conference, and we're going to ask ourselves the question, are we living for the glory of God? So as you listen to this material from Lori McDaniel, I just encourage you to have an open heart and an open mind, to be encouraged and challenged by it, and then to live out the full, free, abundant life that Jesus provides. So enjoy this episode of Inspire on the Go with Lori McDaniel. Have a great rest of the day. Hi, ladies. My name is Lori, and I'm glad to be with you. And you need to know up front that I am an Arkansas girl. Uh, What that means is basically two things. It means, one, that half of my income is spent at Walmart, right? Can I get an amen, anybody? And two, it means this. It means that I know how to call the hogs. Now, that was an invitation to do that right then. So, like, if somebody next to you just started calling the hogs, like, nudge them, like, we're not doing that right now here today, okay? But you need to know that I love being with the women from Arkansas. In Arkansas, I am one of you guys. I've pretty much spent most of my life living in Arkansas. Um, It will satisfy those from Texas, though, to know that I was born in Texas, which somebody could have just given a big shout out then because we all know that everybody from Texas likes us to know that they are present and large in the room, right? As a teenager, my parents moved to Northwest Arkansas, and I will tell you that in the 80s when I lived here and I left here, I thought I'm never, ever going to return to Northwest Arkansas again. So I went to college in Missouri. I married my husband who pastored church in Missouri. We then moved to Tennessee, um, where my husband went to seminary and I worked. We had our first child. And then he took a church and pastored in Northeast Arkansas. So huge shout out to my people from Northeast Arkansas. And he just commuted back and forth then. We were there for about four years before God um, called our family, our two preschoolers at the time, to move to Africa. We lived there for four years as missionaries with the International Mission Board. We had another child there. We call him our little African souvenir. Um, And then God led our family back to the very place I said I never wanted to go back to, uh, back to Northwest Arkansas, where 19 years ago we planted a church. 
Um, in that time, I went and worked at the International Mission Board for another seven years doing mobilization for them. But we have three kids that you heard. Um, two of them, our boys, live not in Arkansas, um, but our daughter and her husband do live in Arkansas. And I have to tell you this because it's like the most exciting news taking place in our family right now. And that is that my husband and I are now first time grandparents. And um, we are super excited about this. Like people ask me, like, what does it feel like now to be a grandmother? And I will tell you this, like, in all the places that I've traveled around the world and all the languages that we've picked up, you know, to speak a little bit in and all the places that I've taught, I cannot seem to find the words to articulate what it feels like, like the gratefulness in my heart, the blessing of being a grandmother. So as all grandmothers do, I'm going to fall straight in line. And so here is a photo. Are they not the sweetest? There's two of them. Like we're talking about double the love, double the blessing. And we are just beside ourselves. They are absolutely adorable. I know every grandmother in the room or maybe even every woman in the room right now is going, aw, because that's what we do, right? I will say this, that even in our excitement, and even though I can't articulate, like, describe this new season that we've entered in, I will say this, like, I want to do it well. And so I don't know what that looks like entirely. Just like often in many seasons in our, our life, like, we enter into them, but we don't really know what they're completely going to look like in the end. And that is where I find myself. Well, so we're going to jump into our topic and even theme for this conference, which is how do we have a God-sized vision for our life? That seems like something that is far-reaching, something that would be hard to like grab hold of and wrestle down. But I want, I want to tell you this. It is not up to you necessarily to organize and manipulate and put together and orchestrate some supersized vision that you think God might have for you. God desires to use you in all of your uniqueness, but in all of his creativity and how he has designed you to be because he is a creative God. And so we're going to unpack what this looks like as we move forward. But I want to do this. I want to tell you ahead of time how the conference is going to end. And I know how it's going to end because what we're going to do together is we're going to get into the word of God, which is truth and it's alive and it's able to pierce our souls. And so likely what you will sense is you might feel uh, convicted, your heart might be moved, your soul might be stirred. But I also know this, that because we are human, we by nature habitually fall back into our same routine. And sometimes it doesn't matter what the inspiration is or how we might be stirred. We normally and habitually tend to gravitate back toward what was. And instead of being stirred and letting it activate us to something new, we're stirred and then we settle back into our routine. And so what I want you to do is this, is I want you to think about when God stirs you, what's next? Because often what enters into our mind either 
either consciously or unconsciously is we kind of have this mentality of, you know, that was a really great conference and those were really great points. And someday, someday I'm going to implement those into my life. Someday when I go to college, someday when I graduate college, someday when I get that degree, someday when I get a job, someday when I'm making enough money, someday maybe when I get married, someday when I have kids, someday then when the kids go to school or the kids move out of the house or someday when I live in a bigger city or someday when I get that promotion or someday when I've entered empty nest until pretty soon all these days and weeks and months and years have passed by and our life has continued on and we never once implemented that very thing that got stirred into our heart because we settled back into this someday mentality. I'm going to invite you to do this. I'm going to invite you to take your someday and put it on the altar. So my prayer for us and this conference has simply been this. God, do not let this be useless, repeated actions resulting in nothing. And that may sound like a, maybe even a harsh prayer to pray, but I've been reading this book um, called Becoming Elizabeth Elliot. And in it, it's a biography of her life. And there's a quote that she says when she came back I'm from living overseas, and she made this statement. She said, I spoke at a church women's meeting. It seemed useless, though everyone wept. And when I read that, I thought, you know, how many times have I been to a conference myself? How many times have I taught in a women's Bible study? How many times have I sat under a message where emotions were stirred and maybe tears, you know, flowed down our face? but I don't want it to be like Elizabeth Elliot said where she went to this women's meeting and it felt useless though everyone wept. I don't want it to be where there's just emotion stirred to live a God-sized vision for our life, but that in the end it was useless. So I'm going to invite you to take your someday. I'm going to invite you to put it on the altar. Now, this conference is intended to be, although you might be watching it on a screen right now, it's intended to still be interactive. So there might be a time when I'm teaching that you just want to say verbally, amen, or that's right, or yes, God, or preach it, sister. Like, I'll even settle for that too, okay? But like right now, what I want to invite you to do, everyone around the room, is I want to invite you to just take out your hands as if you're holding your life, all of the someday's added up together. And I just want you to empty your hands of your Bible and your notebook and your pen and your phone and anything else that you might be holding. And just with open hands, let it represent an open heart with an open mind to what God might want to reveal to us today. God, we pray that, God, that you would speak through your word, through your spirit that dwells in us. And God, right now, we commit together that as we open up your word, as we listen to your spirit, that God, we would be willing for it to transform our soul and activate our lives to align our life with the vision that you have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Um, ladies, what I want you to do is I want you to turn to um, Acts chapter 3. And so how this is going to go down, so we are going to have 
two main sessions. Um, in this first session, we're going to unpack Acts chapter 3. In the second session, we're going to unpack a portion of Acts chapter 4. And so it's going to be a continuation. So in this first session, what I'm going to do is as we're talking about having this God-sized vision, I'm going to give you four handles that you can practically hold on to and implement into your life. And in the second session, I'm going to give you another four, but they're all going to be tied together. And so what I want to do first is I want to take this idea of what does it look like for us to have this God-sized vision in our life? And I want to take something that seems far-reaching, that might even seem a little bit inspiring but overwhelming, and I want to put it on the bottom shelf where it's a little bit more reachable for us. And I simply want us to ask it this way. As a follower of Jesus Christ, how do I live my life? As a follower of Jesus Christ, how do I live my life? life. And I hope that these things that I'm going to give you today are practical. Now, if you were sitting down and having coffee, let's say with a brand new believer, and she were to ask you, okay, she were to ask you, okay, as, as a follower of Christ, how do I live my life? What would you say? Like, right this minute, like, in this second, what comes to the top of your mind? What would you tell her? Well, you should read your Bible. Absolutely right. So let's put that one down. Um, what else would you say? Um, maybe you should pray, right? Absolutely, 100%. Put that one down. Um, you should go to church, be active in community with other brothers and sisters. Yes, let's put that one down to our list. Um, you should tithe. Yes, the scripture speaks of how we are to give our money in worship to God. So let's put that one down. Um, we might also throw out uh, memorizing scripture and sharing the gospel. And absolutely, those should put, be put down. But I don't want to go to meddling right now, but I do want to add a little bit of a word of caution here that let's be certain that the things that we tell people to do, that we're actually doing ourselves. With sometimes memorizing scripture and sharing the gospel come at the bottom of our list that are like really good things we know we should do, but maybe we aren't actually practicing them, right? But let's just take this neat little list that we've comprised, and these are the list of things that we should do to live our life when we are a follower of Christ. And I would say absolutely that this list is good. But if we're not careful, what it becomes is it becomes a checklist of all the things that we are supposed to do. Read my Bible, check. Go to church, check. Pray, check. Tithe, check. Memorize, my, memorize scripture and share the gospel. Eh, maybe a half check, right? What I want to give you are some practical things that are not necessarily to do list that even when you get to that end of that to-do list, there are times that we find our life and we question ourselves thinking, what purpose is my life? Like, like does it have a purpose? Where, where is the joy, right? So the things that I want to give you, the handles that we're going to look at today in scripture are more of a list of a mindset shift, a heart recalibration, things that we need to be rather than think things that we can simply just check off a list. So these are things that should practically be involved in our life. But isn't that what we also crave, right? Like, don't you crave to be around people who haven't just checked off a list, but they model this authentic, vibrant, tenacious faith and confidence in the gospel. They don't shrink in the midst of temptation. They don't unravel when adversity comes and they live exactly what they believe. 
So as we jump into beginning reading Acts chapter 3, I want to give you the context of what's taking place here. So what has just happened about a week and a half ago is Jesus has just ascended into heaven. He's told his disciples to go out into all the world to proclaim the gospel, but they were to wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. People begin speaking in different tongues. People hear the gospel in their language for the very first time, and people come to know Christ. But here's what I want you to hang on to as we begin reading this in Uh, Chapter 3, verse 1, that Christ did not leave his followers and tell them to carry out his mission, to live this God-sized vision to the best of their ability and their personality, but rather through the Spirit in them that they would have the capability to align their lives with the purpose of God to accomplish his mission. We say as followers of Christ that Christ abides on us and we abide in Christ. But 1 John 1, 6 says, whoever says that he abides in him ought also to walk in the same way in which he walked. So if we want to answer, how do I live my life as a follower of Christ? We absolutely would look at Jesus Christ and how he lived. But what I want us to do is I want us to actually look at two of his followers who modeled practically what it was to walk intimately and actively practice their faith. So let's begin reading in Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk. And he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Wouldn't you like to have seen this? Like, this is a worship party complete with dancing and leaping happening and all the people are amazed and they're looking at the situation like, whoa, wait, what just happened? Now, we cannot sit here and read this story and in our religious piety, just fold our hands and think, well, wow, that was a really neat little trick. Like, thank you, God, that that's not what it was. No, I mean, like, this man had been lame for 40 years. If we turn over to Acts chapter 4, verse 22, it says this, For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Ladies, he's old. Like, and I can say that because I have my AARP card. But listen, what I mean by that is this, is that 
This man had been lame for 40 years. And what that means is all his muscles had atrophies and all of his bones had disintegrated and all of the nerves that would normally speak signals to his brains were not functioning. And yet Peter, because he gave him the only thing of value that he had, the name of Jesus Christ, we see now this miracle. And it's not that there is just this wonderful thing that happened. What we see now is we see God's power and we see the name of Jesus Christ on display. People are in utter wonder and astoundment and they want to know what's happened. I'll tell you what's happened. It's, it goes back to that song that, that um, our kids sing at camp because here's what happened. It was just Peter who was a nobody trying to tell everybody about the somebody that can save anybody. That's what Peter is about. And Peter is doing this intentionally. I love in the scripture that they are going about their ordinary day. If we were to go back to chapter two, it says this, it says, and day by day, they attended the temple together. So going to the temple was an ordinary thing in their daily routine. Here's the first handle that I want to give you ladies. It's this, see your ordinary common day as an opportunity to put God's name on display. See your common, ordinary, common day as an opportunity to put God's name on display. It's so intentional. When they get to this place where they always go, and the man that it says that every day they laid him daily at the gates, like I guarantee you they've passed by this guy before, but there's something that has happened in Peter and John's life, the Holy Spirit that changed the trajectory of their life. They have an, in an intention to align their life with what God is doing. And in their intention, the first thing that happened was very simple, is they intentionally looked. They intentionally saw their day completely different than the other ordinary common days that they had before. Ladies, let me ask you a question. Do you have room in your ordinary day for an extraordinary God to show up and work? Or do you have just enough space for an ordinary God to do something that's predictable, something that's explainable, something that's controllable? Like, I know what we do. Like, we look at these circumstances here, and then we begin to filter our day, even through our personality, right? So those of you who are big fans of the Enneagram, right? Some of you can hold up your hand, even if you wanted to. Enneagram number one, concerning your day, this is how you think. I need things to go in order in my day, according to how I've planned it. If you're an Enneagram 2, your thought is, oh, I just want to please everybody in my day. If you're an Enneagram 3, you have thought through all the angles of how you need to live your day, and you're quite certain that at the end of it, you will look the best that you possibly can. If you are an Enneagram 4, there is so much emotion going through you right now that you're not certain how you feel about your day. If you're an Enneagram 5, you're thinking, hmm, for my day, let me get all the, do all the research, and I'm going to get back to you on that. If you are an Enneagram 6, you're not really sure about your day, but you thought of every possible worst outcome that there could be. If you are an Enneagram 7, you're like, oh, I don't know, I just want to go with the flow and please everybody around. If you are an Enneagram 8, you're like, I am confident that I have a plan and I've got it all under control. And if you are an Enneagram 9, you were thinking, oh, I don't know about my day, I just don't want to disrupt the people and disturb the peace, right? Like, 
How we view our day has a lot to do with how God has wired and shaped us. But how we view our day also ought to be shaped by how we view our God, a God with whom we desire to align our lives with his purpose as a follower of Jesus Christ, a God with whom we can look at our ordinary common day as an opportunity to put his name on display. Number two, here's the second handle I want you to write down. Hold your plans loosely so God can move freely. Let's pick up reading in verse 11 of chapter three. It says this, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, which is another unscheduled opportunity, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this and why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety that we have made him walk? Peter is confident and knows that what just happened had nothing to do with any of his plans, with any of his schedules, but it had everything to do with the name of Jesus Christ. Ladies, we cannot be so rigid in our heart and in our schedule and in our goals and in our vision for our life that God cannot move in us. Take whatever you want is what one missionary told my husband and I before we went to Africa. I was asking all kinds of questions like, can we take this? Should we take that? Should we not take this? Should we, should we hold on to this? And finally, I, I think I annoyed them, but pretty much this guy finally said, look, take whatever you want, but take it in your hand and not your heart. Ladies, I want to tell you to set your heart toward whatever it is that you desire to accomplish, but hold it loosely so that you can align your life with where God shows up to work, so that you can align your life when God shows up to work, so that you can align your life in a way of how God shows up to work, so that you can align your life with whomever God shows up to work in, in your life. There was a time that I almost missed it. I was, had been on a work trip. It had been busy. On the way back on the plane, I had my books. I needed to get some schoolwork done and to get it turned in by a certain deadline. And I was sitting by a guy, which I'm okay when you go on the plane, like get to meet the people next to you, say hello, what's their name, where are they from, and, and so forth. But the guy sitting next to me, he was chatty. He was an immigrant from another location. And while he spoke incredible English, I had a hard time understanding him. Now, we had this conversation before the plane took off, but I kind of have this, you know, unwritten rule that the, I feel like the flight attendant should stand up when they talk about the mask falling down, you know, from above, that they should also say that, hey, by the way, when we're in air, you're not allowed to talk to everybody. Like, I've got to get some work done, right? And so I'm trying to get my work done, and he's continuing to talk with me, and I felt like God just nudging me, saying, Lori, I'm at work here. So I closed my book, which the cover of it said, How to Interpret the Bible. And so the man, he looks at the cover of my book and he says, so are you a Christian? And I said, yeah, I am. Are, are you a Christian? And this was his answer. Well, I've been told unless I convert to becoming a Baptist that I'm going to hell. 
Now, how do you even respond to that? I don't know. But before I could get a response out of my mouth, he turns to me and he says, so are you Baptist? Ladies, the only response that I could give to him was, I am a follower of Christ. There was a time in my life that I didn't know Christ. I knew, to need, I knew something needed to change. Jesus Christ was shared with me. I chose to follow him. That's the story of my life. Do you have a story like that? But here's the thing. I almost missed the opportunity to have this conversation with this man. Ladies, you cannot mess up the story of God, but you can miss out on it. Here's number three. Know the story that you're a part of. Listen, Peter is about to take what the people at the temple who are reading the Old Testament, who are students of the scripture, he's about to take what this crowd already knows. He's about to package it all together, deliver it to them and drop the mic, okay? So let's pick up reading in verse 13, chapter three. It says this, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the Holy One and asked for a murder to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and it is by his name, by faith in his name that has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given this man the perfect health and the presence of all of you. What was it that made Peter and John so passionate with this crowd? What is it that made Peter and John so courageous and bold and tenacious? Was it because of the uh, grand finale speech that God gave or that Jesus gave them before he ascended and told them to go into all the world and make disciples? Well, nowhere in the New Testament do we see them show up and said, hey, we're coming because Jesus told us that we needed to come and make disciples of all the people. No, that's not what happens. Many times throughout the New Testament, what we see is here it's Peter and John. In other places, it's Paul, where we see that they go back to the Old Testament and they begin to retell the Old Testament scriptures to people who knew, who were students of the Old Testament story. That is where they picked up. Why? Because they knew that they were a part of the story. They knew that they needed to align their purpose with what God has been doing from the very beginning and was now doing through them. They knew the story. They know this because after Jesus had died on the cross, he resurrected, before he ascended, he sat down and he had a conversation with his disciples. In Luke chapter 24, it says this, that Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their mind to understand the scriptures, the story they were a part of, and said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses to these things. Ladies, you are a part 
of the story of God. If we want to know how to live our life as a follower of Christ, we have to align our life with God's purposes, which means that we live our life aligned with the story that God is already writing. But, but do you know the story? That God created you for his glory, and it was good. But we sinned, and we fell short of his glory. And it says in Genesis that God regretted that he made man. And because of all the sin on the earth, God sent a flood. But there was one man named Noah who was righteous and he saved he and his family. But when they left the ark, God blessed them and he told them to multiply and fill the earth. Why? Because God moves and acts for the sake of his name in all the earth. But people didn't want to fill the earth. So in Babel, they unified and they built a tower so that they could remain together. And their motivation was so that they could make a name for themselves. But God came down, confused their languages, created a multiplicity of nations and languages and tongues. Why? Because God moves and acts for the sake of his name in all the earth. God chose a man named Abram and he made a covenant with him and said, I will bless you and I will make your name great. And through you, all the nations or all the families of the earth will be blessed. And Abraham had Isaac and Isaac had Jacob, whom God changed his name to Israel. And Israel or Jacob had 12 sons. His favorite son named Joseph, who was despised by his brothers, beaten, trafficked into slavery, falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, put and forgotten in prison until one day he interpreted a dream for Pharaoh and he made him vice regent over all the land. So when a famine breaks out, Joseph's family, who is back in Israel while Joseph is in Egypt, travels to get food in Egypt. And when Joseph recognizes his brothers and his brothers recognize him, listen to the story that Joseph tells about his life. In everything that happened, he says this, you didn't send me here, God sent me here. Why? Because God moves and acts for the sake of his name in all the earth. Israel remained in Egypt. They ended up becoming slaves in Egypt for 300 years, but God raises up a man named Moses who goes and delivers the Israelites out of slavery. But God said that he would raise up Pharaoh who chased after them as they are crossing the Red Sea and the Red Sea crashes over him. But God says this about a pagan king, I raised him up for my purpose, that I would get the glory and my name would be proclaimed in all the earth because God moves and acts for the sake of his name in all the earth. God gave Israel 10 commandments and he told them to observe carefully because this is going to show your wisdom to all the nations. Joshua led the Israelites from the wilderness into the promised land and when they get to the waters of the Jordan which are flooded and they step into the waters with the Ark of the Covenant, the waters dry up. God did this so that all the people of the earth might know that he is the Lord. Why? You know because God moves and acts for the sake of his name in all the earth. When Israel cried out to have a king, God eventually gave them a man after his own heart, David, who went to fight Goliath and said to him, this day I'm going to cut off your head so that the whole world will know that there is a God. David, who prayed, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 
He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God moves and acts for the sake of his name in all the earth. The kingdom of Israel divides. Israel goes to the north, Judah goes to the south, and because the people worshiped other gods, God allowed other nations to take them captive. First Assyria, then Babylon, where there was a man in exile named Daniel who refused to pray to a pagan god. And after Daniel survived in the lion's den, a pagan king commanded all the people to worship Daniel's god because God moves and acts for the sake of his name in all the earth. And although Israel as a nation is now dismantled and scattered because they had profaned the name of the God in sight of all the nations, through prophets God spoke and said that he would bring people back, but not for their sake, simply for the sake of his name. Then there's Jesus. Jesus, the Son of God in whom God was glorified. It says in 1 John that he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not for ours only, but for the sins of the entire world. Why? Because God moves and acts for the sake of his name in all the earth. It says in Luke that Jesus said, repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we save. And that is why that the love of Christ in us compels us that we should no longer live for ourselves, but live for the one who died for us. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Ladies, God moves and acts for his name, for the sake of his name in all the earth. We can fast forward to the end of the story where we see Jesus on this room. People from every tribe, tongue, language, nation gathered around them, giving glory to his name. God is passionate about his glory, and he is ultimately committed to act for the sake of his name in all the earth. This is the story. Like, this is the God-sized vision for your life that you don't organize, orchestrate, or manipulate. And thank God that my life isn't about me, or at least it shouldn't be. And thank God that your life isn't necessarily about you, or it shouldn't be. Ladies, let us recalibrate our hearts and our minds and align our life with God's purpose. It's really not complicated, and it's not difficult. When Moses had the commandments, and he was reminding Israel of all of the commandments that they were to obey, he said, look, it's not up in the heavens that you have to go and get it. It's not out in the sea that you have to go search for it. It is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. It's not difficult, but that does not mean that there will not be difficulties. So let's pick up with Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 now in verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came to them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. The disciples were living for Jesus' name. They saw their common everyday opportunity to display his name. They held their agendas loosely and allowed God to move through them freely. They knew the story. 
They were proclaiming it to the people. They were not ashamed to tell it. And you know what it got them? It got them arrested. So don't think for one skinny minute that just because you choose to follow Jesus Christ that everything is going to be smooth and even and easy and explainable and predictable and effortless and frictionless and undemanding and unchallenging. It is not difficult to align our life with Jesus Christ, even when difficulties come. So here's the last one, number four for this session. Live your life sufficiently daring. Now, let me explain this phrase. I was reading a book by Oswald Sanders called Spiritual Leadership. And in the book, he interviews this man who is dying. He's at the end of his life. And Oswald Sanders simply asked him, is there anything in your life that you regret? And the man simply replied this, the only thing in my life that I regret were moments when I lived insufficiently daring. Ladies, let us live our lives sufficiently daring. I looked up this word daring, which actually means audaciously bold or boldly unconventional. That is how we are to live. Is that not what we see here with Peter and John? Like they didn't script this. God scripted this for them. They simply stepped into it, lived their life sufficiently daring, aligning their life with God's purpose. In verse four, even though they are in prison, it says this. It says, but many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to about 5,000. They're in prison. God is not unaware. And yet there are more than 5,000 people who are now followers of Jesus Christ, and God is not unaware. Ladies, let us live our life as followers of Jesus Christ, aligned to the purpose of God, who is passionate about his glory and ultimately committed to act for the sake of his name in all the earth. God, use our lives. Use the smallness of our lives. Use the difficulties, the problems, the emotions, the jobs, the relationships. God, we want to lay everything before you, align everything before you, to participate with you in your story for your name and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening. I hope today's episode helps you embrace the full free abundant life that God provides. Don't forget to follow, like, and subscribe to Inspire on the Go. If you would like more encouragement to help you grow in your faith, visit my website at andrealennonministry.org. Come back next time and enjoy another episode of Inspire on the Go.